going to conclude the series we've been on, Resurrected Life. Um, We don't have a testimony this morning. We've had some amazing testimonies, a lot of people in our leadership. Um, And I would like to say this, and that is that it is so necessary for every generation to pass on the light they have to the next generation. It's the responsibility we have. Uh, And And this is what I want to say to you today, and that is, and I think I have it written up here, and that is a failure to do so. When we don't do that, it will result in great darkness for several generations. You can see this in the Word of God. And matter of fact, we're experiencing it in America today. We're experiencing what what it's like to live in a culture where the, the light, the gospel, has not been passed on to the next generation. And we're going to see this in the Word of God. We're going to see this in our personal lives. And um, I want to try and give an illustration. And I say, I need some help. Brother Freddie, you want to give me some help? Maybe you and Nate and Manny. Would you all get those three chairs right over there and bring them up here? Just all those three chairs right over there, uh, ones that nobody's sitting in. There you go. And if you just bring those three chairs up here. Here we go. Here we go. Somebody help Manny. (laughs) It was hooked to the other one, wasn't it? All right. Let's kind of put them in a row here like this. All right. Thank you all. Praise God. Thank you. All right. These chairs are going to represent a generation. And what I want you to see is that the idea that God has always had, this has always been his plan, is that we, as a generation, we would pass on the light of Jesus to the next generation. And then they, in turn, would take the light they have and they would pass it on to the next generation. And we're going to see from the Word of God what happens when that doesn't happen. So we're going to call this first chair generation, second chair, and third chair. So let's turn, if we would, to the book of um, Joshua, chapter 24. And I want us to read verse 14 and 15. And this is, we're talking about first chair generation. Uh, we're talking about firsthand faith of Joshua. Let's look at it. So fear the Lord. And serve him wholeheartedly, put away your idols for forever. The idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. Now that reflected the heart of Joshua. How did Joshua get this? Because Moses passed this relationship with God on to Joshua. And if you remember, we've seen this before. Remember, Joshua was the young man who sat at the entrance of the tabernacle. Remember, when the presence of the Lord would come upon the tabernacle and Moses would go in and hear from God, 
And Moses would leave, but who would stay? It said Joshua stayed right there. And I believe he stayed because he wanted to experience the very presence of God. He had experienced the presence of God, and he wanted as much of the presence of God as he possibly could. And Moses saw that. God saw that. And so when the time came for Moses to pass on the mantle of leadership to the next person, it was Joshua. And so now we're picking up what Moses has passed on to Joshua. Now, Joshua is first chair generation. He has first-hand faith. He has personal relationship with God. He has not just seen. There's a difference between seeing what God does and experiencing God for yourself. And that's what I want us to see. It is so vitally important that we experience God for ourselves, not just see what God has done over there or see what God has done in their life, but what God has done in my life, that God has answered my prayer. God is real to me and God is real to you. And so the first... The first thing is the first year generation, it represents first-hand faith in God. Another passage that kind of gives us a little more understanding, Judges chapter 2, verse 7 through 9, says, And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him. Those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried in the land that he had been allocated at Timnasera and the hill country of Ephraim north of Mount Gahash. So this gives us a little picture of Joshua. And Joshua served the Lord. And what I loved about his heart, this firsthand faith that he had, it really didn't matter what anybody else did. And when you have firsthand faith, you don't serve God because everybody else does. You serve God because you love God with all of your heart. And that is based upon a conviction of your heart. And it never changes. It can't change. There's not somebody that can come in and can convince you to give up your faith because it is firsthand. I have experienced God. That's why he told him. He said, you can serve anybody you want to. You can serve the gods over here. You can serve the gods over there. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. That's first-hand faith. That's first-share generation. And that is what God wants us to pass on to the next generation. And make sure that our children know God. As we are concluding this resurrected life series... We've talked about a lot of things that has to happen and should happen in a resurrected life. But, folks, if the light we have is not passed on to the next generation, it's all for naught. We have to pass it on to the next generation. And that takes some effort. I want you to see the second generation, the second chair generation. We can see this in Joshua twenty-four thirty-one. Talks about this next generation. For the people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him. So there's the ones that are living past him, the next generation. Those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. 
And one other verse, let's go back. We're looking at Judges 2.7. Look at this again. It says this. In Judges 2.7, it says, And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. So this next generation, they, notice what it says, they had seen everything God had done. And it's important to see what God has done for everyone else. But folks, that's not good enough. It's not good enough. It's not good enough just to know what God did in someone else's life. It's not good enough to say, well, thank God, God answered brother so-and-so's prayer. It becomes firsthand when God has answered my prayer. And when I have a relationship with God that I know is a personal relationship. And in a real sense, God wants each succeeding generation to have that firsthand faith. That personal relationship. But from everything we can see about this generation that followed Joshua, they did serve God all the days of Joshua. And even after he died, they continued to follow God. Why? Because they had seen what God had done. But somehow, some way, somewhere, there's a failure. They did not pass it on to the next generation. Just seeing it was not good enough. You say, well, how do we know that? Well, we know that by the following passages. We pick up in Judges 2, verse, uh, we'll just read, go from 10 all the way down to 15. It says this, it says, after that generation died, referring to the one that, that followed Joshua, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had bought them, brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. And they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the images of Ashtoreth. This made the Lord burn with anger against Israel. So he handed them over to raiders who stole their possession. He turned them over to their enemies all around. And they were no longer able to resist them. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them. Interesting. Causing them to be defeated. Just as he had warned. And the people were in great distress. And folks... That is America today. We are in great distress. We are suffering from at least two generations who have not been passed on the line of Jesus. And I'm speaking as a whole over a whole nation. And I know maybe many of you have passed it on to your children and your children are serving God and that's great. But sometimes you have to look at the nation as a whole. And as a whole, we are in great distress as a nation. And it brings up an immediate 
question. It, it causes me to ask why. And you know, we don't have all the answers. But one thing I can say for sure, and that is that the second generation, the first generation was Joshua. The second generation, those who outlived Joshua. Somehow, some way, this generation did not pass it on to the next generation. And as a result, this generation, the third generation, they served other gods. They worshipped Baal. They worshipped Asherah. They followed after the gods of the world around them. And the nation was torn and in darkness and in great distress. And the principles that you see here are true for every nation. Notice, when people who are called to be God's people turn against God and serve false gods, guess what happened? It says God fought against them. Because the blessings of God were no longer there. We are there. And it brings up the fourth thing that I want to say. And it's a question. How can we pass on to the next generation the light we have in Jesus? And I, folks, if you have children, you have grandchildren, that should be... That should be strong on your heart. How can you make sure, how can I make sure that we are good stewards of the light we have in Jesus? So a couple of things. And first on my list is pray. Pray. And I put prayer first because, folks, it is so important. Pray for your children. When your children get into a wrong relationship, (laughs) how many has that happened to you got teenagers. <laughs> they get into wrong relationships. I want to tell you, it's amazing how you can pray them out of that relationship. Some teenagers are going, don't you dare do that, Mom. <laughs> oh, yes, we will. Oh, yes, we will. I never will forget a letter I wrote to my daughter. I wrote a letter to my daughter. She was off at Bible college, and she was enthralled with this kid and and I wrote a letter and said he's a bum he is no good for you he, he you know and I, I said everything I knew how to say and I said I know you're going to be angry at me when you get this letter but I'm telling you the truth and the day will come when you will appreciate this letter who she was mad Oh, my goodness. Mind your own business, Daddy. My life is my business. And it didn't take long before the bum in this guy came out. And she figured it out. But Vicky and I were doing lots of praying, too. Lord, let the light come. Open her eyes. And, folks, you can pray for your children. You can pray for your children. Pray for their eyes to be opened. Pray for their understanding to be opened. And it's not just about relationships, about everything. Pray for your children. It's so vitally important. The next thing, and that is live a consistent life. If you don't live a consistent life, it really won't matter what you preach. 
It won't matter what you say. If you don't live a consistent life, they won't listen to a word you say. Why? Because your words and your life don't match up. So you've got to live a consistent, godly life that matches your words. If you're a wonderful, Holy Spirit-led person in church, but a holy terror outside of church, you've got to clean that up. So living a consistent life. You've got to do it. The third thing that I would encourage you to do, and that is give your children answers to the false ideas this culture is pushing. There are a lot of false ideas that are going on out there. One of them is socialism. Have you noticed how uh, a lot of kids... Young kids have picked up that socialism is such a wonderful thing. Oh, hallelujah, we're going to get from the rich and we're going to give to the poor. Well, socialism is great until you run out of everybody else's money. And I just want to say to you, the Bible teaches hard work and a reward for that hard work. And our nation was founded on that basic principle. And socialism has never worked. In the history of the world, it has never worked. Why? Because socialism is thievery. It's stealing from people who work hard and giving it to someone else who has not worked. That is never God's principle. And yet that is what the culture is pushing. That's just one thing that this culture is pushing. It's a lie of the enemy. And folks, if we're going to pass on the light, you have to be ready to give answers to your kids. When they come home with these crazy ideas or these crazy thoughts or they start asking about this and asking about that, when you see that that is an ungodly principle, you have to give them some answers. Don't just hope somebody will straighten them out. Give them answers. Why is this wrong? What is wrong about this situation or this thing that culture is pushing? Why is it wrong to shack up before you get married? Why should you get married first? Those are real answers that have to be met and have to be explained. Because if you don't, if you don't give answers to these situations, the world will teach them their way. Your kids are going to be taught. The question is, who's going to do the teaching? So you make sure you are the one and godly people are the one who's teaching godly principles. So give them answers. And then kind of along with that, and that is explain to your children why the Bible has the answers that they need. And what I mean by that is make sure the Bible applies to their problems. And this is the thing about kids. They need to know that the Bible applies to their everyday life. It's not just some, oh, that's some old book that was written many years ago. It doesn't apply. No, make it apply to their life. I'm going to give you another example from my daughter, Deborah. You think she's going to forgive me if she listens to this? <laughs> now, when she, was, when she was in church and a little girl, we had an agreement that if I ever used her an example, I'd give her $50. So I'm hoping she doesn't watch this online. Yeah, hope and pray that she forgets all about this. But one time she came home from school, and she was so upset, and she began to tell me why a teacher at school, at home a Christian, had it in for her. 
and just, you know, oh, Daddy, they've got it, and it just doesn't like me, and it's picking on me, and, and just went on and on and on about how unfair that teacher was. Now, I knew what she was trying to do. She was trying to get me to do something about it, which I refused to do. But rather than dealing with that, the way I approached it, I wanted to see that the Bible applies to her life and her problems. And I said, sweetheart, all your life, people are going to do unfair things. Welcome to life. This is just the way it is. And I'm not going to argue with you about whether this teacher has it in for you or not. I don't think they did, personally. But the truth of it is, even if they did, you've got to learn to deal with that. In real life, you can't quit a job every time you don't like what a boss did. Every time a boss made a decision you don't like, you can't say, Well, my boss made a decision, I don't like it, I'm going to quit. No, you can't do that. You're never going to keep a job. You have to learn to put up with ungodly, unfair people. And it's your response to that person that can shine the light of Jesus. You can honor that person in authority because you honor God and be a witness to that person, even if they're wrong. You have to make your children understand that the Bible really does apply to their life. They come home and they didn't get cheerleader. And it's the end of the world. And they're ready to quit. Nobody loves me. Let them see that the Bible teaches if you will do the right thing and honor and have a good attitude, God will bless you. But you can't get upset and mad and angry every time things don't go your way. And so make the Bible come alive. And and folks, this means you're going to have to do some creative thinking when they come up with problems in their life. So-and-so doesn't ask you to the prom or this doesn't happen here or uh, the dog ate my homework. (laughs) whatever the problem is, let them see that the Word of God actually applies to their life. And then the last thing, and I just want to say this, our children, our grandchildren, they grow up quick. Oh, my goodness. They grow up so quick. I exhort you. I encourage make the most of every day you have because they're gone. They're gone. You know, don't waste precious time you have with your children and your grandchildren for meaningless things. Sometimes we're chasing hobbies, chasing fame, working for that extra dollar. And sometimes we'd be better to have less money and more time with our kids. If you make that choice, you'll make a better choice. I encourage you to do that. So, pass on the light of Jesus Christ that you have. A failure to do so will affect your heritage. It will. Okay, let me uh, say this. 
What have I done to prepare for the next generation? You know, the thing about preaching something, you always have to think, this applies to me too. And I can think back in 2014, three years ago, early in the year, the Lord challenged me. And I was in prayer. I pray every morning. I get up early and I pray and I seek the Lord. And, and that morning, I was just seeking the Lord, saying, Lord, I, I open my heart to you. I want you to speak to me. And the Lord challenged me and said, what have you done to pass on the light for the next generation for the church? And I said, well, uh, I thought about it. You know, does that count? And I really hadn't gotten serious about that because the truth of it is you never think you're going to retire. You never think you're going to wear out. You think you're invincible and you just really don't want to even think about it. But the Lord challenged me to think about that. And so I began to seek the Lord. And each morning when I got up after that point, I said, okay, Lord, what am I going to do whenever I retire? What's going to happen to the church? You have to realize this, this, this is my wife and I. This is our life. <laughs> you know, this is our whole life. So even thinking about that is not something you even like thinking about. But since the Lord had challenged me, then I was faithful and I kept seeking the Lord, saying, Lord, what are you doing? What are you saying? Uh, what is going to happen? And then one morning, the Lord spoke to me and he said... Renee, Pastor Ben Bufkin is going to be the person to take over the church. And I said, whoa. Um, Now, when I felt like the Lord said that, I just kind of gulped and said, "Um, okay. And as I normally do, if I feel like the Lord is speaking to me about something, I'm, I'm always slow. I'm never quick about anything. So for the next couple of months, I would get up early every morning and I would check my heart and see if the Lord says the same thing. I don't know if you do it that way, but I'm always wanting to make sure I really heard from God. Was that you, Lord? Or was that just a passing thought that went through my head? And every morning without fail... The Lord would say that. So finally, in October of 2014, I approached Brother Ben and I said, Ben, I said, the Lord has spoken to me that you are the person that would take over the church someday. And uh, he was excited, a little nervous, excited. Uh, And uh, so what we began to do, we began to meet every Monday uh, and we would meet him at least for an hour every Monday. And I just began to try and pour my life into him. Just begin to share my heart, my life, my experiences, uh, everything I could think of uh, to prepare him. And I, I kind of had a running joke with my wife at this point because my wife every once in a while would say, Renee, when are you going to retire? And I'd always say four or five years. But I've been saying that for four or five years. And every year, she would say, when are you going to retire? And I said, four or five years. And she would smile, and, and she knew what I was saying because I had no idea and I had no desire to want to do anything. 
as far as I knew, we were going to, we were going to die here, you know, take me off in a wheelchair and, uh, (laughs) that's just the way I thought. And so that's, and whenever Ben and I talked and, and some, several times Ben said, brother Nay, do you have any idea when this is going to happen? And I would always say four or five years. And I would say the same thing to him. And, and so I gave no clarity to him or my wife. And then uh, in 2016, last year, as I was in prayer, the Lord spoke to my heart again and said, Renee, I'm reassigning you to Texas in 2018. And I did the same thing I always do. I sought the Lord. I questioned that every time, every morning. I said, Lord, and I, I, I was interested in that the Lord did not say the word retire. He said the word reassign. And when I sought the Lord about that, he said, remember the prophetic word that was spoken over you. And my wife remembers it well that our pastor, Brother Ron Davis, and actually several other people spoke the same thing. But he laid hands on me one day, this is over 40 years ago, and he said, Renee, the day will come when you will be a minister to ministers. And at that time... (laughs) I thought, who's going to listen to me? I don't even know what I'm doing, you know. And the Lord said, I'm reassigning you to Texas, and you will be a minister to ministers. And that the wisdom and the um, the wisdom the Lord has given me over the last 38 years just just so happens that today is the day we were chartered in 1979, June the 11th, 1979. Makes 38 years today. And um, we, uh, I, I informed the staff, let them know what was going on, asked them to start praying for me, praying for Ben. I talked to the financial board, told them what was going on, informed them. Um, and, um, I approached Ben and I said, Ben, I just need you to know you're going to be taking over the church in 2018. And after he regained consciousness, (laughs) he said, what? It's kind of like, you know, after I'd made the joke four or five years for so many years, it's like when I finally tied it down and put a time frame on it, uh, it was a little scary for everybody. So I I, I want to say several things about all this. First of all, um, if you think, and I'm just going to say this because I think it needs to be said, we will be out near our grandchildren and Deborah and Beat will be in that area. I just want to say this. Never in a hundred years would I leave this church just to be with my grandkids. 
don't think that. I would never do that. This church is my life. And I would never disobey the Lord's calling upon my life. I love my grandkids. But I love the Lord a whole lot more. And it is the scariest thing in the world to think about us leaving. And I, you know, every once in a while I think about it and I break down and I, I can't even comprehend it. Uh, these are some things the Lord has spoken to my heart. He said that his anointing, and I want to say this, the strength of this church is God's anointing upon this church, not me. Think about that. It is his anointing upon this church, not me. And I would never, ever want this church to suffer or do badly. And that's the reason I told Ben. I said, I plan on, I will be remain pastor emeritus, whatever in the world that means. Uh, it would just simply means in a position of advice and counsel and help at any point. I want to be able to come back, preach two or three or four or five times a year. Uh, just keep in contact. Ben and I will keep in contact uh, through phone, text, email uh, to be a help to Ben and the church because you have to realize this is like our child and we would do everything we could to make sure this church is successful. And um, I'd like to ask Ben to come up and say something. He said he would like to say something to you. Well, I have a lot of thoughts. I could probably preach a message. Um, I have a scripture in a minute. Before service, during the worship practice when Pastor Renee was in here, I came and we're talking to him and he showed me this page of notes right here. I want to make sure the timeline and everything was accurate. And as I was reading it, I leaned over and I told him, I said, is this real? <laughs> like, are we really about to do this? Are we really about to do this? And that's how I feel. You know, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this in my own strength. I, honest, I honestly don't know how I'm going to do it. I've had a desire since I was 12 years old. I remember laying in my bed in Chack Bay, the top bunk of a bed, and the church my parents were attending was struggling. And as a 12-year-old, you don't know why a church is struggling. You just may, maybe hear things your parents say. But I knew they were struggling. And I remember laying in my bed at 12, and I was crying at 12. And I said, God, make me a pastor so I can go and pastor that church. And that was the first time I had in my heart a desire from the Lord to, to pastor. And as I got older, you know, what I thought I was going to do changed and it became different things. But there was always this constant sense in my heart that God had not just called me to preach, but called me to shepherd a church. And I remember, Estelle can help me with the time frame, the first, what was our first Sunday at Living Word Church on Val High? What was that year? 2009 and... And you're going to think this is crazy, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. When I walked into the building on that Sunday in 2009, I had no reason in my heart to think this. No one really knew me. 
I don't know, you, you, I don't know if you ever met me. I, Josh and Brooke Bourgeois are my family, my first cousins. But I walked in the building and I, I felt in my heart, you're going to pastor this church one day. Hmm. And Estelle's crying the whole service because she is like, she, she doesn't know. She doesn't know why, why, why we're here. And we, it was just a challenging season. And I just can't quit laughing. And, and, and the thought that was in my mind, I, th- I thought, you know, that's, that's no way. You know, no one knows me. Three months later, approximately, I don't know, Pastor Nate asked me to preach on a Wednesday. And I thought, how, how did he do that? He's not, has he ever heard me preach? I thought, well, maybe Josh and Brooke gave, him, gave me a reference or something. And, and not long after that, I, we led the college group and... But I, I just, I never thought it's going to happen. It never did. And so on that October 29th, 2014, when Pastor Nay approached me, me and Estelle left, or I left his office. We went to eat at Firehouse Subs. And I told Estelle, and I said, I think this is going to happen. I believe God's called us to do this. I believe we're called to shepherd the people at Living Word Church. I don't know how. I don't know when. And Pastor Nay was not exaggerating this four to five year thing that he would say. <laughs> he was, I don't know if he was driving Miss Vicky crazy, but he was partially driving me crazy. <laughs> I mean, he would come and tell me, you know, he, we would start meeting and I would, I'd beg him for clarity. So when do you think, you know, to tell me, tell me what your vision is. And, and I understood, I understood his challenge. I mean, this is his life. I understood this. I understand the seriousness of this moment. Do not ever, just like he says he would never leave in a million years to go be with his grandkids. I would never in a million years take this position if I did not understand the weight and the, and the seriousness of the responsibility and the calling to shepherd a group of people. I mean, that is unbelievable. And in and, and, and the course of all this process, you know, when, you, when you're first approached to, to, to pastor a church and the Lord opens that door, there's these, you know, opportunities for pride to come in. You know, I, I love to preach. It's one of my passions. And so that was one of my first thoughts was, oh, I get to preach. <laughs> and then I get, to, I get to give my life to this church and just all these kind of big thoughts and as we started meeting more and as he started giving me the clarity, then the weight would hit me. And I'd go home and I'd say, Estelle, I don't know. I don't know if we can do this. I don't know. Am I the right person? Can I do this? Will people believe in me? Will people want to follow me? Will people like my preaching? Well, and just you go, go through all the thoughts. Will the leaders respect and follow me? And you just go round and round. And I just want to say this about Pastor Nay and his position and how he has helped me in this you know he has been a father figure in my life during the course of these last three years and I underestimated what it was going to be like to meet in his office for a year and a half on Mondays and to ask him questions that are half important to my life it has been one of the most valuable times of my life to sit there and to have him pour into my life and to share his life with me and to help prepare me and I just want to say this, the transition is not over. You know, it's not 2018 yet. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching next Sunday for Father's Day. Pastor Renee won't be here, but you need to know he's not gone off to Texas. He's gone to Texas, but he's not at least staying. He's coming back. 
We're going to start a new series on the parables of Jesus on the 25th. It's going to be a great series. But the transition's not done. You know, there's more, more preparation, more prayer. I just want to read a scripture, 1 Corinthians 3. I have three points. I'm going to give you a three-point message here. It says, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, talking about Paul, talking about himself and Apollos. And there were some fights in the church about who's going to follow who. Now, some people say, well, I'm going to follow Apollos because he's the man. I mean, Paul, because he's the man. And some people say, well, I'm going to follow Apollos. And Paul is trying to address this issue here. It says, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. So my first point is this. This transition is not about us. Pastor Nate said that. This is not about him. This is not about me. This transition is not about Ben Bufkin. This transition is about a mission. This transition is about a mission. Every church has a mission for the Great Commission to spread the gospel. So this transition is not about a man, but is about a mission. Let's go back to the text. I planted the seed, Paul speaking, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Who does the work? It's God that does the work. Over 38 years, God's faithfulness to this house, to this people, in many ups and downs, in many seasons, God's been faithful to make it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. It's not about us, but only God who makes things grow. Verse 8. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field, God's building. By the grace of God that God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. This is Paul speaking. He laid the foundation as someone else is, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. My second thought is this, is that the foundation is great. Foundation is great. I mean, Pastor Nick could sit up here and the leaders of, and the people have been here for many, many years. For, there, there might be people here who have been here for 38 years for the whole time. And the foundation is great. Pastor Renee has labored. He's toiled. He's tilled the ground. He's planted the seed. He's watered the seed. He's done hard labor. You know, getting to, getting to know that you guys don't ever underestimate the, the, the difficulty that a pastor and his wife go through when they live under the burden and the responsibility of shepherding a people of God. And for the first time that year and a half, I got to sit and listen to story after story of them telling me. Some of it scared me. And I went home and said, Estelle, I don't think we should do this. <laughs> I don't really. And she, she was trying to convince me I shouldn't do it either, you know. She didn't want to go through it. But, but it's the great joy. It's the great burden. The great responsibility. The glorious responsibility. And it is a great response. It's a great foundation that he has laid. And I just want to say this to everyone here. We're not building a new foundation. What else is there to do? What else? What else? What, what, what other foundation can we lay? We're not starting something new. We're next, you know, when Pastor Nate leaves in 2018, there's not going to be strobe lights installed on the stage. And, and we're, we're not going to change up the order of the service. And, and that's a promise. There's not many promises I can give you in life. 
Let me promise you tonight, but I can promise you we will not have strobe lights <laughs> in this sanctuary. <laughs> and we're going to sing the old precious hymns like we sung this morning that I love so dearly. Look, it is a great foundation. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel, right? I am a younger Pastor Renee. And if you know me, you know that's true. That's my heart. I want to read this next section here for my, my third point to my message. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Which is Jesus Christ. So it's not about us. The foundation is great, and the foundation is Christ. The foundation is Christ, and that is what we're going to be about. If you want to know what the vision is for Living Word Church post-Pastor Renee, it's Christ. It's the gospel. We're going to open the Bible. I'm going to teach scripture to you Sunday after Sunday, and we're going to point to Jesus Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And you're going to grow in Christ. You're going to mature in faith, and you're going to become bold witnesses for the gospel. We're going to, we're going to continue, as Clyde and Teresa lead, lead the mission ministry, we're going to continue to go all around the world spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that is the only foundation worthy of building upon. And so I, I ask, as Pastor Renee said, for you to pray for us, pray for Pastor Renee and Vicky, pray for my family, pray for my kids. Um, we're excited. We really are. And I, I look forward to uh, the Lord continuing to prepare me to be your pastor, to love you well. Amen. Just stay up here. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> at the end of the service, don't tell me goodbye. <laughs> I'm not leaving. This is not 2018. And if you want to say, well, why are we taking so long? Because I want to make sure this is done right. I want it to take a long time. I want to make a smooth transition. I want it to, to do it right. And I want to make sure the church is ready. I don't have a definite time or date in 2018, maybe late uh, spring, maybe in the summer, uh, nine months, maybe a, a year from now, something like that. Uh, if we make it, if I make it till the summer, it'll make 39 years we've been here. We'll see. Uh, but, you know, we'll, you'll see him preach more. I'll preach a little less uh, because I want you to get comfortable with him. Freddie's going to continue to preach. He'll be like a right-hand man to Brother Fred, uh, brother. Uh, ben, and I, I want to say we've got a great staff. We've got a great staff. We really do. And uh, a lot of good things going on. So this is what I'd like to ask. I'd like to ask my staff, their wives, if you all would mind coming up here, ask Estelle and the children to come up. And I, I'd like for us to lay hands on Ben and Estelle and the children. Uh, all the staff to come up here and help me to pray. Thank you, Lord. And the, one of the reasons I wanted the whole staff to come up is I just want you to see is that surrounding Ben and Estelle is a great group of men and women. 
who are mature and who are well-equipped. And I want to say this one more time. I know I said it before. The Lord assured me that the anointing of God would rest upon Ben. The anointing of God would rest upon my life as I leave. I don't know how this is going to work. You know, it's strange going from a nice steady job when you know what you're doing and moving out to Texas and not knowing what I'm going to do, except that the Lord said he would open up doors and I would be a minister to ministers. That's all I know. So just pray for me. It's a little scary if you ask me, Uh, but we have a great staff. And uh, if you don't mind, I'd like you just to stretch out your hand. I know it's all their families here. We appreciate y'all, Ben's family coming. Lord, we, we lay hands on Ben. And Lord, this is the beginning of a transition. And even though this transition is going to take place over almost a year, I thank you, Lord, that you will continue to prepare Ben and Estelle in the name of the Lord Jesus, that the anointing of God that has been upon my life will be upon Ben and Estelle's life Amen. and their children. And I thank you, Lord, that Vicki and I will do everything we can to prepare Ben and Estelle and this church for this to be a good transition. I thank you, Lord, for blessing them and blessing the church. I thank you for the staff, Lord. You assembled on a wonderful staff. And I ask you, Lord, to help them to support Brother Ben and Estelle. And we love them and ask you for the anointing of God to be upon their life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.